0: hello and welcome uh to your managing madrid podcast this is your host gabe Ledgera, um and uh, i am joined on a very rainy very cold day here in washington dc by uh om Arvind. om how you doing buddy
1: i'm doing good glad that it looks like we're back to winning ways and i'm excited to talk about what went down
0: yeah a lot went down um Emily Woods, also joining me. Finally, uh, you know, this is your second show in a row, Emily. How do you feel about that?
2: <laughs> I'm a superstar.
0: You're a superstar. Back, in, back again, back in the saddle. <laughs> um, so I'm, I'm really psyched to talk about this, obviously. Um, we're talking Real Madrid 4, Celta um, Vigo 2. Um, that was played in Balaidos. So this is a traditionally very tough game for Real Madrid. Balaidos is not a good park. Uh, and Madrid went in and got a big win um, against the Celta Vigo side that um, I think Barcelona was paying to uh, knife the Real Madrid players. Just come out and you know, see if they can break Gareth Bale and, and company. And basically they did. So the big news coming out of the match, I mean, Ohm, I think you called it a Pyrrhic victory. I think that's a fair characterization because every single substitute, every single substitution that Real Madrid made was because of injury.
1: Yeah, I. Who, who was it that went down? It was Reguilon went went off injured, Yep, Nacho, Nacho and, and Casemiro it was, and Casemiro, it, and Odriozola at one point was down hurt.
0: Bale got I, hit.
1: Bale got hit. Every single guy got hit, and it was. I mean, you can't discuss like what Celta did tactically, and I think there were some interesting things there, especially in the first half, without acknowledging that a huge part of their game plan was if not to injure our players to hit us as hard as possible and and as as much as possible,
0: yeah, and uh I mean, so I think just to just getting that that's I think the big news out of this is that we've got a couple of longer term injuries unfortunately, nacho I think is the big one, Nacho will be gone for um my what I've seen Emily, I don't know if you've seen other things, but I've seen eight weeks. Um, Not great. Eight weeks, um, he has some sort of uh, dislocation of the uh, uh, interior collateral ligament. That's, I'm translating from Spanish, not a doctor. I don't know what the hell that is in English, but that's my understanding of his knee. Um, Eight weeks without Nacho, who's been arguably one of the most important parts of this season, just because of the the myriad of injuries to uh, all the other players.
2: Yeah, he's kind of been um, the duct tape we've been... (laughs) using across our back line <laughs> to fill in all the gaps as everybody just keeps going down.
0: Yeah, he's a, he's this utility player that I've always sort of I mean and and I think other people are, are even higher on Nacho than me, but like I've always th- thought of him as one of these integral players that Losing Nacho is losing duct tape. Like and when you're trying to, to go for a season this long and let's call the, the team kind of a rickety old spacecraft, like you need to be able to duct tape the little holes that pop up and Nacho plays at right back, he's played at left back and he plays at center back. I mean, this is a and and this is a the, the type of player that I'm I, I think that we're gonna see more of in modern football, but it's also a type of player that is still quite rare, which is the utility defender.
1: Yeah, I I think I think most Madrid fans not understand how important Nacho is to to the team. There was a point in time, especially after we got destroyed by Atlético Madrid and the Calderon in the 14-15 season, where Nacho played particularly poorly and we kind of wondered whether he was of the requisite quality to play for us. And then a couple of seasons later we all kind of, you know, stepped back and said, Well, Clearly he is and we're lucky to have him because he could start on a lot of other teams and the fact that he's willing to ride the bench for a long period of time and then step up and do these kinds of things is, is really, really valuable because I don't, don't know of any other defender or a few other defenders of Nacho's quality that are willing not just to, to have no stability in the positions they play but also have no guaranteed starting spot because he knows as soon as Varane's fit as soon as Carvajal, Marcelo, are Fit, he he's back on the bench and he has no problem with it, and that's absolutely invaluable.
0: Yeah, it's a crucial crucial position. I think let's pivot really quickly. Um, obviously, Casemiro looks like only two weeks. We have an international break now. Could be could be worse timing for this injury um, for for Casemiro. This is actually you know there there are a couple of uh, intense games coming up, but. A lot of like you know I I guess my, my feeling is that Madrid will be able to weather this particular storm just because it's not a not a super long one and as far as I know don't, we don't know the extent of Reguilón's injury um, which I think is low key one of the most in, like one of the one of the toughest injuries for Madrid to deal with right now because of how ably he stepped in for Marcelo I uh, I don't know what you thought about um, Reguilón Emily.
2: Oh, he's been incredible, Um, especially like I, he's not somebody that I personally had watched a whole lot. And anytime Marcelo goes out, it's devastating. But he has covered as well as I think anybody really could have expected and better. So I am very anxious to hear what the injury is and how how long he's going to be out with it.
0: Yeah, and he was particularly good, I thought, in this match. And and we're going to talk about that in a second. I think the other big piece of news – uh, uh, Santiago Solari no longer uh, no longer Real Madrid interim coach, he will be Real Madrid permanent coach, and the word that I've heard is that he may be getting a, a contract through 2020 um, obviously, I mean, you give these contracts that are long, but then you can always fire people, I mean, obviously um, Lopetegui had a long contract, you just make buy, you know, buy him out, basically, but still Madrid's showing some confidence in, in Solari, and I mean Om, when we were when we were talking about this appointment I thought and I think you I think we both I think correctly said that it is very possible that we'll see some sort of you know swing where the the bad luck will correct itself and the team will get some good results but I uh, we maybe shouldn't overreact well Solari has come in and done exactly that but he's also guided Madrid through out of this total crisis and into a period where they've won four games. And I think in the only game that was really in doubt of any of the Solari matches so far, he went to Balaidos and got a hard-fought victory. I mean, do do you feel like we should have been a little bit more open to him as a manager?
1: I mean, possibly. It's possible that our assessments... About Solari were incorrect, but I do not know if I can if it's logical to change my opinion at this point in time. Mainly because, I mean, I, I see people make the argument right, like the opponents we've played, not necessarily the highest quality. Mel- Melia, Victoria, Pilsen, even Celta Vigo, one win in their last nine games, and they they only kept one clean sheet in all of them. But you know, I'm not even going to make that argument because I just the simple fact that it's only been four games. I, I don't want to be reactionary and just change my opinion that I've held for a long time now because of four games, right? If, if you think about how the analytical process works when you're assessing someone, you can't just just change your opinion like that. I'm not saying I'm necessarily correct. I could very well be wrong. But just for me personally, it would take something like 10, 15 games for me to even get a sense of what Solari is like for this job and start to say whether my assessment was wrong or right. So even thinking about Lopetegui, I'm not. I'm still not sure what kind of manager he is for a club. side. I'm still not sure whether we necessarily made the right decision because I I, I, I I don't think the amount of time we saw is enough. Obviously, that that's me as a fan. If you're in a, if you're in a management position, you don't have that luxury of time to sit back and look at it like that. But since I am a fan, I don't have that kind of I don't have that sort of stake in what's going on. I'm personally comfortable in sitting back and waiting a much longer time to say whether this is right or not i i don't know if it makes sense to look at four games and say yeah well Sar is the right man for the job or well this proves that he can't do it if you get what i'm saying
0: i do um i do and one thing though i think that we have seen is as uh, emily as you said in, in your article and everyone should check it out if if only because it includes uh, a, a reference to E forty. Uh, just this is it's an incredibly dope opening, but but you you basically made the point that it seems like the players are at least a little bit more willing to come to play for Solari. And I think what we a lot of a lot of times what we do is we call stuff like this black magic. Like that's like the the kind of joking way we talked about why Zidane would be able to win despite not being a brilliant tactical coach. But you know. This black magic stuff is sort of putting yourself in positions to get you know these the results like this, and that is all about making sure that the players are up for it. And I mean, I I strongly felt that Lopetegi put the team in positions to win. The team just didn't sort of do it. And now with Solari, they are doing it. Now I was just like, what do you think is the is it is it just is it just this kind of feeling of swagger that they're they're able to go out and say look we are Real Madrid ultimately and we can come in and win these games or is there something else going on
2: I my feeling is it's a combination of things one of them is I think you guys have talked about this this sort of statistical bump that comes when you get a new coach I think that was that's part of it the other part of it is we were I think the ship was bound to kind of right itself a little bit, even if we had stayed with Lopetegui. I don't think there was any way we were going to continue having those kind of results repeatedly, considering we did create some decent chances there. But I I think there is something to be said for the fact that they, they do seem to have more fight in them um, since the coaching change, whether that's anything Solari has done in particular, I'm, I'm not sure. Um, But you know, it's, I agree it's a small sample size. It's, I don't know if it's easy – You know, at this point you can tell, yeah, yeah, he's going to be great for the foreseeable yeah. future. But at the same time, like, OK, yeah, these weren't great. This wasn't great opposition. We lost to a lot of not great opposition <laughs> under Lopetegi as well. So, point. yeah, I think the flip side is that's worth a, considering.
0: Yeah, that's a strong point. I f- I, yeah, I, I'm so – it's weird to say, but I think that just the way that this has gone actually did, I think, buy him – I don't know Um what, what you think, but I think it did sort of buy him the, the 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 right to get a shot at this and not just a a shot like, well, you know, we're just gonna replace you immediately. Like let's give him a shot. Maybe he can finish out the season and then we can go get Pochettino. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I mean and, and so one of the things I wanted to talk about a little bit is we saw um in and, and so Conte, who's the widely reported, including by us, uh, because we had heard from people and also it, everyone was agreeing that he was coming in, he gave an interview today where he said basically, yeah, well, with respect to Ramos, like I feel like as a coach you come in and um, you want to respect the players, but you also have to kind of expect that from the players. And I, I think left unsaid is that Ramos – and his declarations before he he made that, you know, that Madrid made the call really did disrespect Conte. And I think that that has led to Madrid being really out of options. And luckily, um, Solari stepped in. I mean, Ohm, I think that Conte's comments today basically indicate that as we kind of guessed when this was happening, that that actually might be the reason he's not, like he didn't actually end up coming.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's possible. I, I wouldn't rule out also that there were other issues as well that I was hearing about that had to do uh with the contract length and like also I think like if Real Madrid signed him we would have had to pay some clause to Chelsea that like some kind of severance package or something that we would have had to pay out and it was like something like fifty, sixty million or something, so that might have played a role as well. But what Ramos said definitely didn't help. I, I don't think anyone can deny that.
0: Uh No. And I was excited to have Conte because I sort of, I kind of trust him more, um, even as an interim coach, but I mean, we'll see, as I said, when Madrid, uh, when Madrid hired Zidane, if this is going to work, that people have to be patient with him. The problem is that I just don't, I still, I'm just not sold on him, um, term. So we'll, we'll have to see. Uh, but if it's going to work, people need to be patient with him. Um, that being, you know, again, no, his – his. anyways, let's talk about the game. I I don't think I need to go in circles with, with fucking talking about Santiago Solari and all the things that we've all said about him and uh, his absolutely dismal worst all-time record with Castilla that in no way um, called for his promotion. But fine, fine. Um,
2: <laughs> the one thing I will say about us keeping Solari for the rest of this season is say someone like Pochettino does show up on our radar as a possibility over the summer. I think it's a lot easier to just slide Solari back out yeah, yeah. and bring someone new in.
0: Yeah, that's fair. Totally fair. <laughs> totally fair. Also of note today, Barcelona lost to Betis in the new comp. Um, so Madrid has just made up three points. That's a huge, huge boost for Madrid's shot of of, of, of the league. I think it's still like safe to say Madrid is an underdog in, in winning that tournament this year, but. This is the kind of thing that they needed to make up ground on, and previously under Lopetegui, he had not had the luck and had not managed to make up any ground on Barcelona. So, you know, this this black magic stuff is a little bit real, and Logan is very involved. Also, I guess you are. Um, all right, so let's just um, let's jump in a little bit to the uh, to the tactics here, at Ohm. Uh You wrote a great piece for uh, Between the Posts. I think everyone should just go check that out. Uh, I was interested in. Uh, talking a little bit about how Stelta came out um, after kind of this um, initial onslaught from, from Real Madrid and how Real Madrid responded to that.
1: Yeah, so Benzema Benzema was our key player. I, I, I think everyone who watched the game would know that. He started off really brightly, got two shots off very quickly, and Betis you know, needed to kind of take control of the game before it got out of hand. So they started to apply um, a four-four-two high press that was oriented towards the wing. So you had classic four-four-two structure, and Aspas and Gomez would shift to to wherever the ball would 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 um, whatever wing the ball would go to. So if so, initially Gomez would protect Casemiro and, and and Ceballos when he came on when they kind of dropped deep to receive between the center backs. That so was forced to pass out wide. And then Aspas would press the wide center back that received the ball. And usually that was towards our left wing because we like to build through Ramos since he's better on the ball. And then Celta would man mark all our midfield options, our full backs, and then our wingers. And we found it quite difficult to, to break through that, especially with an injured Casemiro being in a key part of that, in that, that midfield. And Celta got a lot of the ball. I think the possession throughout the game was 50-50, so there was never a point where we controlled possession in the game, and a lot of that had to do with Celta's high press, but Celta hardly did anything with that, with that possession. Speaking of Black Magic, they had a header that went off the post from a corner kick, but I don't really think you can argue that's a lot of luck going Solari's way. With- because they, they literally didn't create much other than that. Yeah. And I think that was down to our defensive organization. So if we, if you were to mention one strength that Keon always talked about that Solari had with Castilla, it was his defense. And I was quite impressed. We had a four-4-one, four, four, one medium block halfway halfway point in the pitch, and we were looking to block we were defending against what was kind of like a same 4-4-2 four, four, formation, except with Celta's right winger coming in field. And Dale did some tremendous defensive work to protect the passing lane behind him and prevent the pass going into that winger who was drifting infield. And so the only option Celta had was to go long or to play dagger balls into the channel. And Nacho and Ramos pretty much won all those one-versus-one duels. And so the first half, I would say, was pretty much ours. Benzema you know, scored a brilliant goal off Modric's pass. The second half, just it, it got out of hand. And that's where most of the goals were scored. And I think a lot of that had to do because if there's a tactical issue that we had, it was our pressing and our counter-pressing. And those two things are something Solari's never really liked to do. And we kind of tried to do that this game, high-pressing on goal kicks and counter-pressing after we lost the ball. And there was a lot of great energy. Like, Like Emily was saying, there was a little bit more of that motivation and hunger that I think it's just obvious that it was there. I think it, it might just be the new manager effect, who knows what it was, but it was there. But the structure and the spacing necessary to make those that, that pressing viable just wasn't there. And there was just time after time in that second half where Celta kept kept coming at us on the counterattack and we we struck goals at key moments. Yeah. I it was it was Benzema <laughs> who picked it up who picked up the second goal. Then Celta Celta got back right when Ramos fell asleep, when Hugo Maio scored, then we got a key penalty. Ceballos so scored at the end of the game, and then they scored off a deflected goal. It just, it just got kind of crazy because uh, it just went all over the place. They were injuring players, and the tactics just kind of went out the window in the second half.
0: I, but I, I don't know, Emily, what you thought about this, but my feeling was that, sure, Madrid sort of let it get out of hand, but this wasn't a game where it seemed like Madrid kind of needed the black magic. To win, like this was a game where Madrid actually did outplay Celta, and in my view, they were lucky. Celta was lucky not to have a second put through in the first half. I mean, uh, Madrid uh, obviously ended the game with about you know two and a half, three expected goals, doing pretty well. And they, and I think, impressively held Celta to about one. Uh, and that's even less if you actually look at ex- like expected goals from actual open play. So now if you don't include the set pieces, I mean, overall, and this is, this is, I think what was really impressive is that this is a team that was rolling out a, for a large chunk of the match, l- rolling out a, a system that involved two pretty attacking wingbacks, Ramos uh, uh, and... Uh, yeah, you know, with Dani Ceballos playing at the, the the pivot. I mean, this is not a. If you looked at just the, the just the lineup, this isn't a defensive lineup. Yep, they managed to hold a team with Iago Aspas, one of the more exciting and premier creative uh, wingers slash forwards in the entire Spanish game, to you know a pretty quiet game overall, and like. I was. I think that is a big important takeaway that 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 Madrid did manage to, despite the kind of chaos in the second half, actually they had a pretty good game, in terms of the de- defense at the very least.
2: Yeah, I think they stuck it out <laughs> better than expected, and I think a huge part of the chaos was just the number of. Changes that we had to make due to injury in terms of slotting people in where they didn't really normally belong, like Lucas Vasquez at a left back, like that's that is obviously not his primary position. Um, and so the fact that yeah they held on and played held them off as well as they did given the circumstances, I think the four-two was actually a pretty pretty fair scoreline for how how the game actually played out.
1: Yeah, and I—I I mean, I just want to be clear. Like, I wasn't arguing that Real Madrid didn't deserve to win the game. I think—I think we did. I—I um, I just think that our performance in the first half was a lot better, a lot more controlled than the one in the second. I mean, even if you look at the um, expected goals, I mean, the main chance we created in the second half was Sergio Ramos's penalty. Whereas we had three really top chances in the first half. You had Benzema's goal. I think you had another Benzema. It was either from. An Zola, a Regulon cross, and then I think Bale had an opportunity as well. So it there was there were there were there were things to good things to take away from what Solari did tactically in the first half and some worrying things in the second half, even though it never looked like we were really gonna lose because Celta, though they were able to break into our half a lot on the counterattack, they struggled to to turn that into shots. And I think yeah. I think to to emphasize the good things would be the defensive organization so that even though we didn't build out of the high press all that well, Celta couldn't really do anything with possession, partly because of their own problems, you know, trying to work the ball up the pitch. They only had really one mechanism to build play, which was to access the right winger in the half space. Otherwise it had to go long, but it was also because of our defensive organization. But then the pressing wasn't all that great. And in a way that's kind of reminiscent of Zidane in how like the pressing was kind of on and off. And then also the fact that, and I don't know if I would say this is negative because I don't think it really hurt us that much, but it's clear from a stylistic perspective that Solari doesn't doesn't prefer a tactical structure in midfield the same way Lopetegi does. Solari a lot more allows a lot more freedom in what's being yeah. done. There's a lot more interchange in positions, which is very reminiscent of Zidane, and then a lot less deliberation also when we're in possession. Yeah. Right, it's a lot higher tempo get the ball out to the to the to the two wingers who play more as traditional wingers and cross instantly So again, very different from what Lopetegui was doing.
0: Yeah, I mean, one of the things that I was really interested in, and I think we're finally beginning to see Solari and what his what his first team style is sort of going to be. And it's a movement away, and and it's annoying because I think this is the like that modern football is moving in the opposite direction. But it's a movement away, or it's sort of in response to press and possess. And he doesn't seem to be focused on executing a strong high press. He's willing to seed the ball and then he's also but and then he also feels that the, the the way to attack is very quick, very direct. and I get it in that I actually think that Madrid's personnel just top to bottom the personnel actually does allow for a very like winger based speedy attack. Um, but there are going to be times when that type of attack is can be countered, right? Like, in against a team like Celta at their home ground, who are who, for all their faults, they're a team that likes to come out and try to beat to win at their at their home ground. They come out and attack. They use osbus, they use others, and they use it and they do this very quick counter attack that does also alle- allow them open to. Uh, a response counter, a responsive counterattack, um, and leaning on the speed and and dynamism of Bale and Odriozola and 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 company is a good idea against a team like Filta. I'm I'm worried though. Um, I don't know, what, what, you guys. I'm worried about what that would look like against a team, let's say that gets a little bit more stuck in, that really picks its spots a little bit better and just says, "All right, look, we're gonna let you." Try to run at us on the wings, but and cross eighty times. I'm, I'm just I'm I'm interested to see how Solari kind of structures a game where the team is prepared for uh, dealing with Madrid's wing pace and 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 playing more with traditional wingers. And maybe what maybe the answer is that he'll his offensive structure is going to be a little bit more varied, but. I, while, when this works well, it works great, and I think it worked well against Delta, but I'm not sure it's going to work as well against a team that, say, you know, knows that this is coming and is playing in the Bernabeu, so they're like, all right, well, we're going to cede possession and kind of drop back.
2: Well, that's, I think, where we have to see where the what kind of tactical um, acumen Solari is going to bring to it, because... I mean I people were Keon was talking about this way back when when people were saying oh we need to be more direct under Lopetegui this was at the very beginning and the response was how do you play direct and not possession based football against a right. low block because people were just going to sit there and defend and I guess it's we'll just see what what he's able to come up with because at this point I'm I'm not sure
1: I I think I think it's going to rely I mean again it it it's hard I think to, to to really, I think, now try to understand how to transfer what you've seen at Castilla to the first team, but I think it's going to rely a lot on individual initiation. I think it's going to be similar to what Zidane did in that we're not necessarily trying to beat the opposition through superior positioning of our players, but we're just kind of getting them in the general right areas, allowing a lot of freedom and fluidity with the way the midfield moves, and then just kind of relying on them to create in in the offensive third and a lot of that is then going to turn to crosses and that also the funny thing is Lopetegi approached that in a totally different way and we still ended up relying on a lot of crosses and that's a whole nother discussion you know I've I've teamed up with a couple of guys and I wrote about that a couple couple of weeks ago on um, between the posts you can you can look at that but
0: I mean, there are different, of, yeah, there are different ways of, to cross and and to approach a a crossing game, right? right you know,
1: and, right. And but but let's say we're let's say we're going to cross because our crossing numbers were, were similar to what we had under Zidane under Lopetegui. The issue was we didn't have Ronaldo to convert those opportunities anymore. And right now, I feel like a huge part of of why we feel so good about Solari right now is Benzema's form. I mean, the last two yes. games, yeah. we're out of nowhere. He's playing like he's elite peak Benzema again. And if, <laughs> let's say he keeps up this form, I'm skeptical given what we've seen over the past two years, then I think that strategy is going to work out all right. Where We re- rely more on individual initiation. We, we swing the ball out wide and get it in the box and, and Benzema kind of roams and connects things. But if he drops off, I'm not so sure that we're going to solve the issues that Bobitegi had in offense, because we we lack that we lack that star yeah. player up front. And if Benzema drops off, there's what we're going to have to look at playing Mariano again. We're, we're back to the same problems.
0: Well, there is one person who could come in. He's sort of a king.
1: Zlatan, it's time,
0: baby. Come back. I you love, know you want to. I love
1: Zlatan, Gabe, but I'm gonna
0: have to say no today. <laughs> it's gonna be a pet. It's gonna be no from you, dog. <laughs> 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 well, you're wrong, Om, and that's just the way it is. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think also I will also mention that I think Marcelo, when he comes back, adds a level of dynamism to the attack that uh, is going to be really interesting to see you know, in, in this system because uh he really does bring a, a level of X factor. I mean, Ohm, you uh did some just absolutely brilliant really cool and fun statistical analysis showing how 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 beyond anyone Marcelo is. I mean, yes, yeah, it's, it's like the first few games, but still, you know, you showed that he's a very good dribbler and a very good creator and Reguilón has shown that he's got pace, he's got like he's got attacking ideas, and he's got a, a very strong cross. But he is not Marcelo, right? And so I think Marcelo brings a space breaking and game breaking ability on that left wing that hopefully will allow the team to maybe be a little bit less, vert, like very a little bit less traditional in the way it approaches wingers. I'm not sure if that makes sense.
2: My question is where, um, you know, is Isco going to fit into this yeah. this plan at all? Because I think he's a someone else who would work in a similar way. So maybe under a different, you know, against a different opponent, different circumstances, that maybe that would be part of the solution.
0: That's a really good point. And also, I mean, the question is, you know, will Sol- whether Solari will have the balls to kind of the cojones, right, to stand up to some of the players and say, look, we're going to just play. We're gonna do a different thing, and he did today by starting Lucas Vazquez, right? And over Isco and Asensio, uh, heading into an to an international break. So not even, uh, like it's like they were gonna have some break. Uh, but yeah, he went with he went with um, with Lucas Vazquez. Obviously, that changed because of the injuries, because he had to go drop Lucas Vazquez deep. But that was an interesting um, uh, an interesting lineup decision. Um, Own, I mean, Emily, do you think that's because he really does want to have these wingers that, that play like traditional wingers and he doesn't maybe feel that Isco and Asensio really do that?
2: Uh, I don't know. I know Vasquez makes a lot of sense um, for, you know, the zinging and crosses <laughs> um, <laughs> game plan. Um, so definitely if you're if you're going to focus on the wingers, which he seems to be doing, then yeah. But... Um, I don't know. I, I'm still a little surprised that we haven't seen Esco at all, um, yeah. unless it's just purely a fitness thing. I don't know.
1: Uh, well, I, I think it's a little hard to tell. I, I think we should be careful about drawing conclusions, saying that this is how Salati wants to play, because sure. as far as we can tell, right, like, he's not a philosophy coach. He's more in the Zidane world in, in that, like, he, he adapts to whatever, and, and he, he does what he thinks is necessary. But with Castilla... Um, in order to bring Reguilón into the side, he moved Lus- Lucimi Cetada, who's a who was a left back, up to the left wing, and that that kind of you know you can you can see the similarities there with having, especially if you're playing a left back on the wing. That's a lot of traditional flank movements and crosses, and it it's it could just be the kind of the type of play Solari likes, especially if you're not going to play with too much structure in your midfield and attack. Then the inevitably the way you are going to attack other teams is through a lot of wing play and through a lot of crosses. And he did he did he did do the same thing last game. Um, so I, I I don't think people are totally off to wonder if this is how Solari is going to continue doing things. But I also wouldn't be surprised if this changes a lot and Isco comes back in and Solari tries different things because the primary job of a Real manager, at least with this squad is to manage your personnel, make sure everyone's happy and rotate. So you don't have a revolt on your hands.
0: Yeah. I think that, I think that's probably more um, where we are. Um, Last specific thing that I have in my notebook that I wanted to talk about. Um, It feels a little bit guys, like we've got the return of Modric. He's, he's getting back there and that, that assist today. I mean, he looked much more like himself and the way that this team is going to kind of burst out of this funk, like let's assume that Benzema isn't actually just the second coming of, I don't know, Cristiano Ronaldo, and is just going to score like 40 goals. Uh, I think that the, the Madrid going into this season was like relying on Luka Modric to basically be Ballon d'Or Luka Modric uh, again this season. And he just has looked so tired and so like possibly injured and just not himself i think though we're we're slowly but surely beginning to get him back
2: yeah uh. I, I i agree i think this was the first time i've watched watched him play this season and thought there's luca like there he is um and that opening that opening goal from his part as well as Benzema's was just was amazing. So I completely agree. If we were we were kind of betting on the team that we had when Cristiano left. Um and I think that was yeah, we put a lot of um expectation on on Benzema and Asensio, but we I think also we're putting our chips down on Luca, um, being the guy to kinda of guide yeah. us, help us through. And if he can start doing that again, that will be huge for us.
1: Yeah, and I don't think you can underrate what it means to have Luka Modric back at at least like 75 80% of what he is because his influence on games is at another level when when we have the real Luka Modric and we, we we haven't had him all season up until this game and we we learned very quickly that it was going to take time because of his insane world cup campaign and just to give examples obviously there's the assist on Benzema's goal I mean, he's hardly played any passes like that this season. And then also, it was for the the third goal to spark the penalty. Um, Modric won a 50-50 duel off a long ball and then drove forward and played the ball forward to initiate the pattern of play that led to the penalty. So it's not just his his passing ability, his technical ability, his ability to influence the game, but also his tenacity and really just his ability to be an all-around dominant presence in midfield. That allows yeah. few other midfielders like him to take control of the game and 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 give us victories.
0: Uh so one other person that I I know I said that was the last one, but I'm not I'm not done. I have so much. Um, I actually got to watch this game finally and actually take notes and actually you know enjoy myself um, because I got today or I got um, today I guess today off, um, and I spent yesterday. Um, you know due to uh, man uh circumstances I don't want to talk about cuddling up on the couch all day um with my wife so I got to watch uh a a wonderful this 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 match and just have a fun time watching it. so I have tons more to say but one other person I was really interested in saying and I know we briefly mentioned him but Danny Ceballos, I think is having the breakout I know that like we sort of expected this but I I believe that he's going to have you know just become a more important part of this team. I think that this is a fascinating way to use him as a single pivot. I'm not sure that it's his be- – I don't think it's his best position, but I actually thought he looked pretty good today. And, oh um, I, I mean, Madrid actually does have a um, dedicated single pivot in um, uh, 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 our man. Um, Marcos Llorente. Marcos Llorente, right? But – Danny Ceballos playing there adds a, a level of dynamism, I think, to the team going forward that's fascinating, as shown in his actually brilliant golazo in the in the last minute of the match. I mean,
1: yeah, I I don't know if I really ever want to see Danny Ceballos playing as a single defensive <laughs> midfielder again. Mainly because I just think there are so many better options. Like I think if you if you haven't brought Marcos Llorente on the bench it's not the worst thing in the world because as Matt Wilsey mentioned to me on Twitter, he has played there at the U19 level, but Kroos has thousands of minutes played at defensive midfield position. Um, even Modric has more time at the elite level there. And I think, I, I can't say Ceballos did badly there because he didn't, he did better than I expected. But when we were kind of getting flooded on the counter-attack it was kind of noticeable that Ceballos was feeling overwhelmed. And if you're not going to play with that level of structure in your high press and counter press, someone that's a lot more traditional, like a Casimir or Marcos Llorente, becomes necessary because suddenly all the responsibilities on them to cover all these spaces. And that's just not Ceballos' game. I mean, I guess you could train him to adapt there because he's an intelligent player. But I want to see him in positions where he'll have more chances to take shots like that. That was kind of an anomaly. Like, as a defensive midfielder, he's not going to have too many opportunities like that. It was kind of the nature of the game that allowed it. So, I think, I I mean, I'm not saying you're doing that game. I'm just speaking in general. But using the goal to justify him as a defensive midfielder, in my opinion, makes a stronger argument. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm just saying in general, right? Like, it makes a stronger argument for him to play in attacking positions yeah, because that's the kind of stuff, thing he can do.
0: No, I and I, I'm really just using his overall performance to say this kid continues to demand minutes. I, I, I would wildly have preferred <laughs> to have Marcos Llorente play uh, in the single pivot in this match. But that being said, if you know the idea is to try to get Dani Ceballos' minutes get him minutes like he is he's just demanding it he uh of all the players this year under under uh a little bit, like he was one of the few that did have this grit this grind that that emily was talking about he actually did come out and 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 show why he wanted to play for this team and why he he's de- he was demanding a spot in the 11 and i think the more minutes he can get, the better. He has played, right? He has played at, at, um, at Single Pivot before. He played there with the Spanish national team. I think it was like the U-20s. I don't remember. But I, I, he also had stints there at Bethe's. Not his position. Again, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying we need to get this kid minutes. And if this is the way to do it, then I'm okay with him occasionally getting this, uh, getting these types of minutes.
2: Anytime oh, yeah. he's out on the field this season, he's he's looked really, really good. And especially I think it's been most noticeable when we bring him on at the half because, yeah. you know, when we've been kind of out of ideas and looking stagnant, he's been the the spark that's turned it around. And so in that sense, you know, obviously his more natural position is playing higher up the pitch, and I think that's where you see him the best. But I thought he did better than I expected yeah, in that too. role in this game.
0: Maybe that's really what I'm saying. I just I expected this to be an absolute dumpster fire and he was way better at it than I thought he was going to be. I, uh, I don't know. I was hoping Om, that you would, uh, I don't know if you had expectations for him coming into that performance. But anyways, regardless, that was, um, <laughs> that was, that was my guy <laughs> that I, that I wanted to talk about. Um, and I'm, I also just want to say I'm very happy that, um, we're seeing Odriozola playing. I mean, one of the things that Solari really has done is, is I think, made the obvious decision to play Odriozola when um, when Carvajal's out. I mean, right, it's such a it's right, such right. a gimme that one.
1: Right. I that that was what I kind of wanted to mention in the beginning, but I forgot to. If you want to find ways to give Solari credit, the most obvious and inarguable one is that he's playing Reggie and he's playing Odriozola, and he's not slotting, not shot wide, and that's just. I don't think even if you're the most ardent Lopetegi fanboy or whatever, I don't think you can argue that um, Solari is making wrong decisions there. I think this has contributed to our turn in form. And so I think I have 100% of credit to Solari for doing that.
0: Yeah. All right. Um, so this is uh – you know, a podcast that we need to fund. We need to get ourselves new mics. We need to get ourselves equipment. So we ask you guys to toss in a couple bucks on Patreon. We also do a midweek show um, that is exclusively for our patrons. Um, $3 a month. It's not that much money. Gets you access to midweek shows. We do a number of them. Sometimes it's one, sometimes it's four. I mean, like, really, we've had, like, midweeks where we've done a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday show. It's uh, a little aggressive, but Keon uh, Rolls that way And a lot of them are Patron only um, So you get you know twice, three times The Managing Madrid uh, And it also helps us keep improving The quality of the show, the quality of the site um, So yeah, go to Patreon.com slash Managing Madrid To toss in, but if you toss us Five dollars a month, even more uh, Excitingly, you get access to all the shows But we also Answer every you know, you you get a question every week we answer it on the show, um, so that's what we're about to do. We're answering some questions from our patrons, um, and then at higher levels of rewards, if you toss a little bit more money, uh, you get different things. Most importantly, ten dollars and up, you're going to be entered into every single drawing that we have. We've got a great friend of the show. Uh, Daniel Smith, who has um, obtained a number of awesome jerseys signed by players. We do drawings for those among our $10 patrons. There aren't that many, so you actually have pretty good odds. So if he tosses $10 a month or more, you get automatically entered into these drawings to get. And I think the last one, OM, was a signed Sergio Ramos t shirt. It was pretty goddamn dope. Yeah.
1: You guys are missing out. Sorry, that t shirt
0: signed Sergio Ramos match day jersey. So pretty damn cool. Um, and then higher levels, you get more stuff. I mean, at I think twenty five bucks, uh, Keon will write a article for you of your choice. Uh, so yeah, let's um, let's jump into some of your questions. We have a number of uh, different things here. Uh, we have a uh, our first one that I wanted to say is from um, Mimo. Uh, uh, and, and Mimo. So Mimo, I, I'm going to call you Mimo from now on. Thanks for letting me know. Um, uh, Oluwapa Mimo is uh, his first name. So I think I, I appreciate the nickname there, my dude. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, shout out. He says, um, uh, first, let me say thank you for what you always started. Being a part of Managing Madrid is a gift. Community here is strong. Well, thank you. We appreciate it. We work very hard um, to make this happen. Now to the match. Wow. This was a good game, and Benzema really backed what he said in the press conference recently. He was my man of the match. This was a good game, bearing in mind we lost crucial members of the team. Hopefully the injuries are not so serious, and they are back before we know it. International break yas. Yeah, that's maybe the first time anyone has ever said international break yas on this podcast, ever. Anyone. Just FYI.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I think you're right.
0: <laughs> we are um, – I think politely, not fans of the international break. <laughs> um,
1: uh, I don't know about politely, maybe for you, but
0: I'm trying to be polite. <laughs> That's what I'm saying, not politely.. Uh, and just can I just do a quick aside, Ohm, and and everyone should check it out. We're going to do eventually. We're trying to. There's some time zone questions about how we fix this up, but we're doing a show on the re- recent football League's revelations with Ohm, Where we're going to talk in in you know in in some chunk about the fact that a lot of the big clubs are trying are considering seriously breaking off and forming a European Super League. Part of that process might very well be the elimination of things like the international break. Not necessarily that there would be no more international soccer, but just that the Super League would have such bargaining power that they'd be able to prevent their players uh, from being forced to go play for the national team in the middle of the season so that is one of the angles that we'll be talking about with the Super League podcast everyone check that out it's on Let's Fix Football we probably will break you know toss some of that onto our Patreon as well Um, for managing Madrid. Um, All right, he says, Modric and Kroos and Casemiro are uh, are all getting better collectively. I still think we need to be better defensively, but I still believe we did well. However, I must say, Bale does not deserve to start. Vinicius should play. His willingness to try and beat players of what I think is what I think we are missing in Madrid. See the output Benzema creates when he tries to go one-on-one, even one-on-two. Boss. All right, I, I just have to I have to slam that one on the brakes. i got to slam on the brakes. Oh I, I mean, well, this, this is a this is why, this setup for you, my dude.
1: This is why I said that, like, everyone really needs to calm down with Vinicius. It's not because I think people are wrong about his projection. I think all the intelligent people that have watched him play think that at the very most he's a golden ball level talent, which is very high praise indeed, you know, the, some of the better scouts and better analysts out there just don't throw that around. Like, yeah. um, but, but he's not better than Garrett Bale, like in any way, shape, or form. I, I think there's debate, reasonable debate, about his ability to come off the bench and impact games. Whether that's the best for his own development, I don't know. But I think he has that ability. But how, how are we really? Assessing that. What are you guys really looking at to say that Vinicius is better than Bale right now and he needs to come out and, and start ahead of him? I mean, you're really looking at, what, two, three substitute appearances. I don't know how many of you watched him play for Flamengo. Um, definitely very good for Castillo, but I don't know if that means he's better than Bale. I, he, he's not. Like it, we're, we're being rather reactionary here, and I understand why, because it's been a tough season. This guy is a bright ray of hope. You know, he makes us feel better about the future, which to many people looks very bleak right now. But I don't see in any rational sense how we can say that he should be starting ahead of bail right now.
0: Yeah, that's exactly how I feel. And it's not, I mean, I, I the joke that I made to you is you need to let people enjoy things. But I, I now think people... <laughs> <laughs> no, everyone needs to be stopped. This is too much. Like, I I love Vinicius. I'm a believer. I My own... Amateur scouting and you know basic journalism background, like covering this team forever. I I haven't seen talents like him that much in in Madrid's past. I really believe that this kid is the real deal. Like I I see I see a lot a lot a lot of potential in him. But like he you're telling me that he should start over as an essentially healthy Gareth Bale. Like this is you know he doesn't have any there is not a single trait that Vinicius has right now that Bale that is better than Bale any individual trait of Bale's i'll just like that's and that is a pretty damning thing to say but except for the fact that Bale is an extremely strong well-rounded player and he is an elite player he is a uh when he is healthy and and kicking a top 10 if not top 5 player in the world and it's it's actually you know it's just it's it's that it's that simple for me. So I don't know, Emily, what do you think? I don't know if we've got, we've broached this uh, subject with you.
2: Uh, I think I'm a little higher on Vinicius than you guys, but I don't think I'm to the point where he should be starting over Gareth Bale, like, or definitely not like it's a no brainer. Um, I think he has, you know, been effective coming off the bench um, and kind of injecting pace and, uh, initiative into into the games, but but I completely concur with you that he's not superior to Gareth Bale in really any category at this point. Now, that's not to say that when he's Gareth Bale's age, maybe, you know, that's, yeah. that's a different story, but I just don't think he's there yet, yeah. and he needs to be brought along more slowly and than we need that. To, yeah, me. and
0: we need to be serious about understanding what development in young players look like. Like, it's just... It's just as simple as that. Like, not even Cristiano Ronaldo was Cristiano Ronaldo. Suddenly, Cristiano Ronaldo, you know, one plus goal per game. Cristiano Ronaldo, when he was, uh, you know, this age, no one, no one is really liked. I mean, Mbappe is, I think, the brilliant. Mbappe
1: is, the is guy, a Curse. He's yeah, a curse. Yes, he is. I love him so much, but he's exploded onto the stage. Literally, just immediate impact in the Monaco first team, and now everyone thinks that this is how a talented young player develops. Mbappe is one in a million. Literally, the last youngster to do this was O.G. Ronaldo, who's like arguably the top ten in the top ten greatest of all time, just considering their peaks. Yeah, like this does not happen. Mbappe is the only guy this is going to happen to for the next decade or so. Yeah, and I. We did the same thing with Asensio, right? Like, Asensio, who was older, more mature than Vinicius, we were saying there were articles out, I think even on the main SB Nation site. Fucking Marcus, this,
0: as- I mean, constantly. Right,
1: as- Asensio needs to start over, one Juan- of Benzema, Bale, Ronaldo, it doesn't matter, we have to give way, and now everyone's like, oh, I don't think is as good as-, as we thought anymore because he's gone through a rough patch at the beginning of the season. Like, yeah. I- I'm not looking forward to the time when Vinicius does something wrong on the pitch and suddenly all of us are like, oh, you managing Madrid guys hyped him up so much. Look at him now. He's trash. He's he's never going to become what you said he would. That's why I think we need to calm down more just for our own our own sanity, right? Like, you, you can ride the highs and lows to some point, but you got to keep it within reason. Otherwise, you're going to be all over
0: the place. I will, I will also add that another amazing thing that's been true about the Football League's revelations is that they've once again, like, affirmed what we've been saying forever. And one of the things that we've been saying is that Madrid were essentially closed on Mbappe, that they had him locked down. He was ready to come. They were going to get that deal. That deal was done until his father stepped in, and we now have the emails and messages that prove that. So I feel very vindicated (laughs) about that aspect of it. Um, I think that the fact that what Madrid is looking at right now is 100% related, directly, you can draw a direct line to that exact series of email correspondences, Madrid struggles. Like Madrid with Mbappe is a wildly and radically different team. Um, all right he, he uh, uh, Mimo continues Ceballos was good but still needs to work on his decision Makings and not trying to do too much I still think we need new players And not because the ones we have are bad But because there needs to be a healthy competition um, What do you think? Um, I mean Emily I mean I think we need new players I don't think that my our assessments Have really changed
2: No I think we could definitely Use an influx of <laughs> Not necessarily new talent, but just something different, especially um, um, in terms of the goal-scoring threat. And yeah. I, I, We all kind of, I think, said it, even under lopetegi like, yeah, we don't look good under him, but changing the coach is not going to fix everything that ails us. And I still think that's true. I think, Omi, you're dead on when you say, yeah, Benzema has turned it on, and that's why we're looking great under Solari. But if that doesn't continue, we're going to be back kind of where we were. And so, yeah, I think we definitely do need reinforcements. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I kind of feel bad for slapping Mimo's first um, point down like that. So I got to say, I agree with this 100%. Also agree on the Ceballos point. Um, mainly for me, it's it's a goal score. Where we're going to get one from, I don't know. I, I think everyone agrees at this point, except for the really hardcore Benzema fanboy. I like to think of myself as a hardcore Benzema fanboy. Um Sla- think that ten. we don't need
0: to
1: I mean honestly honestly at this point with how thin the market is, like Slatan would be one of the options we'd have to look at. I mean I, I I don't think when you've signed Mariano you can go and kind of get another backup option like Iago Aspas as good as he is because he, it it not does- it's not a big enough upgrade over Mariano right if you're going to go out in the winter and get someone it has to be someone who can compete at at what we expect Benzema to be and the alternative when we most likely sign no one because there isn't anyone available in the winter trans market is to simply play Mariano more Solari hasn't had to cross that bridge yet because as we mentioned Benzema has turned it on but there's going to come a point where you know Lopateki refused really to bench Benzema and Pretty much every coach before him, no matter, especially this is what Zidane came under the most criticism for, you know, out from everyone, despite what he achieved, is he needed to bench Benzema. This issue is going to pro- come up again, and we're going to have to see how Solari does deals with it. And coaches just love Benzema because what it, what he can do with our build up in midfield. So I, I'm skeptical that we're going to see much of Mariano. I think we're going to have to bank on Benzema keeping up this kind of form for the rest of the season.
0: Uh, next question, uh, comes from, uh, Vinod Baratula. Vinod, um, asks us, MD10 seems to be back, but Modric seemed to be back, but I'm worried about center backs. What happened to Baran? Will he be back for next game now, um, that Nacho and Casemiro got injured? Um, Baran suffered an abductor strain he'll be out for, I think, a few more weeks. So, um... Yeah, hopefully Javi Sanchez and eventually yep. Vallejo might be back. I, I mean that's the hope.
1: We need Vallejo back, man. My my man has been out for too long. People have forgotten how good he is. Just needs to get over those injuries. We could use him so badly right now.
0: I I literally think that Vallejo's issue is and I don't mean growing pains like as uh development. I literally mean I think he's a young enough that he's still dealing with growing into his body. <laughs> He's really good, and we've seen people who had nagging injuries that always questioned, that had issues that then got over them. I mean, Baran Varane, is Varane the classic is of them, example yeah. of
1: that. Yeah, gotta I mean, be Vallejo. Gotta, He's it. We man. gotta pray. We gotta pray Yahoo goes Baran's way because that was. I, I I think a lot of people don't remember now. Now that Baran's such a like, he he's a he's a key player. Like. We we don't have Pepe anymore. We can't imagine our long term defense without him. Lots of periods where we weren't quite sure Varane was going to live up to his potential. One because of injuries, and then because that bred inconsist- inc- inconsistency, and that meant Pepe kept starting over him for, uh, off merit. And it it honestly depends on Vallejo's mental mental framework and yeah. and how the medical staff helps him get over this.
0: I. Is Javi Sanchez ready? What do you think, Emily?
2: I'm going to defer to you guys on that one. I think this this game was a tough one to tell just because of yeah. the circumstances, and I I can't pretend to have watched him as well as you guys probably have.
0: Oh, fair enough, fair enough. I mean, just in terms of this game, I mean, and what we've seen, he actually I've sort of liked him.
1: I don't know. I think he's I think he's done all right. I'm not super confident, mainly because. I, Again, don't hold me to this. I think anyone who's listening to this if they really want to know, they should um dm or at Keon and Sam on Twitter to ask them because they're they're the, they they know more about him, but as far as I'm aware, and people who are keeping track of Castilla talents, people were really high on Reggie but I never saw anyone high on Javi Sanchez he, he could come out and surprise us, but I'm quite nervous now that Nacho is down and he's going to have to start? And I, I guess we'll see. Um, I mean, I can't give a definitive answer, but I just know that at the moment, you know, no one really projected him in the same way that we projected a Reggie Long and, and definitely not a Vinicius-type player.
0: Yeah. I... So I haven't. I didn't watch nearly as much Castilla as Sam. So I'm going to defer to him also, and and you know whatnot. But what I've seen with him so far is, it's very possible that he will be a suitable fill in that won't that he won't be a such a drain on the team's defense that Madrid. You know he he's he's like a here here's what I think. I'm going to just use a baseball – I mean, because we talk about stats all the time. And as Mourinho said, people that don't know anything about football talk about stats. And he's totally right. I mean, we don't know anything yeah, about yeah, football. Yeah, that's, that's me. That's 100% me. right. Um, <laughs> uh, but in baseball, we talk about replacement-level players. And those are players that essentially are – if you called someone up from the minor leagues and they just put them in, that's that's your replacement-level player. And like you're, they're going to be serviceable but not great. Um, and that it's the kind of baseline player that you use to to create a statistic like wins above replacement or war, and th- that that's a statistic that is coming in this this sport too, I believe. But like ultimately, I think that what we have with Javi Sanchez right now, I don't know about long term. He may very well become a very ser- serviceable kind of backup center back type. Right now, I think he's just a replacement level player. I don't think he's going to cost Madrid any any games in you know, an obvious way, but he definitely isn't like a, 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 he definitely isn't a, uh, the level of backup that you want. And frankly, he isn't Madrid's, I mean, he's Madrid's fifth choice center back. Like it's hard to, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to say that he's going to be, you know, that, that we should expect a world-class player at that position, right? Like he is, I mean, there's Ramos, Baran, uh, Nacho, Bayejo and then Javi Sanchez. Like that's, I mean, that's the order.
2: <laughs> so I now, think if he can come in and be a that's a win
0: for us. Yep, I totally agree. Um, Tyler Dixon asks, us, "We got points when Barca dropped points. What is this? Is this real life?" Modric looked back to uh, back to himself today. Do you guys agree? Yeah, I mean, I think the big story of this match, guys, is that, I mean, Madrid capitalized on a Barca lost and, and made up points. That's huge. It's a huge thing to do um, in, in, a, in a Liga this tight. Cool. Um, <laughs> I mean, oh, no, no, I no. Mean, like, I was waiting. I was, honestly, I'm listening to my dog, like, literally weeping outside of the door, and I don't really know what's going on with him. Um, he does this when he is being a little whiny, uh, little, little whiny, whiny man who wants attention. Um, so <laughs> there's not that much to add. Yeah. Barca draw points. Huge. Modric, we've talked about, I think, a fair amount. He He's not back to himself. I think he's probably playing about 80%. But even 80% Modric is a huge, huge boon to this team. Um, all right. Sajid Riyaz asks us, um, he says, positive energy. There was one thing that could point uh, that you could point out as a reason for Loboteki's failure. What would it be? Uh, and now, Sezgi, so, so I think, is going to answer this question. Um, I've been pondering on this, and my conclusion is that, especially after the Sevilla battering, he always seemed nervous on the touchline, and this nervous energy transmitted to the players, especially when they kept hitting the bar, etc. One of the notable attra- attributes of our more successful managers, such as Don Carlo, Del Bosque, and Solari, so far wow that is uh, a <laughs> incredible thing to put into that anyways whatever is the is the calm demeanor that they always have on the pitch um okay
1: <laughs> so i i don't think you can point out one thing and i, I get that like it, it's kind of one of those questions where like it, what if you kind of force you know someone into saying that so you get more an interesting response but I, I still wanna answer it that way because I don't wanna mislead how I see why Lopetegui failed and I, cause it's it's really multiple factors and to reduce it down to one is is you're gonna miss the point. And I even point out several things. I think one was that he wasn't willing to trust Regulon or I understand why I sympathize, but at the end of the day that was a wrong decision. Two, um I liked a lot of what he was doing tactically, but if you were to really dig into the advanced numbers, when it came to our deep completions, which are passes completed within 20 yards of the opposition goal and very deep completions, which is even closer, we did not produce shots at the same historical rate that we we have from those positions in the past. And that was a big problem. So it was possible that we, that we pondered too much in possession when we were in the final third. There was too much fluidity in our front line. That was another problem. And then there was just a bad form of a lot of the players we had. And also the tough schedule. So, I mean, I definitely, if I was thinking about something like the demeanor of the coach, that would be one of the last things I look at. One, because I I don't really think I'd ever seen Lopetegui nervous, except when he'd come to the very end of his tenure and he knew that his job was on the line. I think that's normal for any coach. And also because it's so hard to judge those things. I'm very, very cautious about looking at someone through a TV screen and saying like, yup that player doesn't want to play today, or yup, that guy is feeling some other way because it's just, it's so difficult. It's nearly impossible to do so. I wouldn't be confident in saying that's one of the reasons for why Lopetegui failed.
2: I think it's kind of, um, I think drawing that line at the Sevilla game, though, I think has some validity to it in the sense that our confidence just bottomed out and we never really recovered from that. I mean, there, um, all the statistical... um, Analysis that that you give them, I think is incredibly I think that is the larger point of it in terms of the tactical what happened in the breakdown. But there is a confidence and the sort of intangibles aspect to it that they just looked tentative. And I don't know if that was game plan or people losing confidence or what, but they never quite looked the same after that
1: game. I agree 100%. I don't know if... I, I highly doubt that was because Lopetegui himself was nervous. I think that was just the results and the fact that things weren't going our way. I mean, I can't deny... I in, After the El Clasico pod, that was one of the few times where I said I actually agree that the players didn't want it or whatever because usually I never say that, but it was just so clear that they didn't fight for the coach the way the way we would have wanted them to in the first half of the conference wasn't there. I just highly doubt that's because, you know... Lopetegui was jittery on the touchline, and the players looked at him and they're like, "Oh, the coach is nervous, so we ought to get nervous." I think it had a lot more to do just with the situation that they were in.
2: Oh yeah, I completely agree. I don't think if Lopetegui bites his nails on the sideline that it's going to translate to something on the field necessarily. But I think, I, I, think there was something in the development of the season that happened right around that time of the Sevilla game that did, did have an yeah, effect sure, on the team for going sure. forward.
1: For sure, that's
0: a valid point. Totally agree um, with with you, Emily. I think uh, and and Saji, I think it's a good point to circle that match because it. I mean, it was a whooping, and Madrid hadn't under Lopetegui, hadn't really gotten a whooping. They had some bad, like unlucky and and upsetting results, like the Atletico match, but they hadn't gotten a whooping like that. And that was that was a like a match where the players just didn't seem to have it, and his tactics didn't seem to make any difference. And I think you got that sense that perhaps he was uh after that had to like began overthinking him introducing the amazing iphone 10s you'll love on t-mobile the most loved in wireless it's the perfect way to stay connected to those you heart most fall in love with iphone 10s on t-mobile and right now trade in an eligible iphone and you'll save three hundred dollars visit a store or call 1-800-T-MOBILE if you cancel service, remaining balance is due. Qualifying service and finance agreements required. $279.99 down plus 30 per month times 24 Full price $999.99. 0% APR for well-qualified buyers plus tax on full price. Allow eight weeks for rebate. Progressive presents Get Pumped.
2: Inspiration to help you do insurance stuff. Okay, time out. You're going to let your budget be the boss of you? Take control with Progressive's Name Your Price tool. Tell us what you want to pay for car insurance and we'll help you find options that fit your budget. Here's some music to get you pumped. Da-dong, 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 da I hear your budget laughing at you. Oh, wait, that's just those kids laughing at me. Ignore them. da
1: Progressive <laughs> Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.